do you want to just kick us off with that? We, we kind of spoke about some other stuff before, but should we just like dive straight in on that then? Yeah, let's just dive into it. Welcome to Deep Matter. Uh, this is episode 10. Um, what, it, I guess this is episode 10.5. <laughs> we, we, we started recording and, and uh, lost power about, I don't know, 20 minutes in. So we're, we're actually picking up... Two. A, a 10 take two, right. So we're actually picking up kind of midway through the conversation, but I, I think it w- has worked out for the better because, like I said, I, I've had a chance to think about it some more and, and kind of talk through some of it with Adrian. And I think there's there's some more stuff that we can kind of uncover about it. Hit it. Do you, do you want to start with reading the, the, the quote that you sent me that, that stuck out? For, first of all, there's a it's based on an article on Vulture.com uh, uh, by Jerry Sauls, who is a, a, a very famous art critic. And at one point was an artist uh, and, and gave up uh, pursuing a career in art and instead went into art criticism. And the piece is called My Life as a Failed Artist. Decades after giving up the dream for good, an art critic returns to the work he devoted his life to, then abandoned, but never really forgot. And, and the kind of crux of the piece is he he did this massive project of of illustrating all 100 cantos of Dante's Divine Comedy and 30 or 40 odd years later found the portfolios of work and was going through them in his mind almost for the first time right well i mean i, I think the the fascinating thing about it for me was that uh, you you don't often hear from artists being honest about having such high aspirations and having these skill sets and putting in, you know, what was it in his case, at least a decade, maybe two of hard work and graft on, on a long-term project. And this is him looking back. What is it? Gosh, 50 years later, right? 40, 50 years later going, I really tried for this and it didn't work out in my case. And here's me kind of doing a debrief about it. And how much of the article was about his, his inability to kind of, handle his expectations around it and how that kind of sabotaged him at a point. And can I read the quote that I pulled out? Yeah, Maybe please, good... please. So, I mean, there's, I mean, there's so much you could, you, it's a quote-tastic article, but this is like one little paragraph I pulled out. <laughs> quote-tastic? Yeah, it's my new word. Do you like it? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> uh, it says, this is what he says. He says, when I teach today, and obviously just to give you a bit of context, he obviously teaches artists as well today. He says, when I teach today, I often judge young artists based on whether I think they have the character necessary to solve the inevitable problems in their work. I didn't. I also didn't understand how to respond to an outer world out of step with my inner life without retreating into total despair. Oscar Wilde said, without the critical faculty, there is no artistic creation at all. Artists have to be self-critical enough not just to attack everything they do. I had self-doubt, but not a real self-critical faculty or facility. Instead, I indiscriminately loved or hated everything I did. Instead of gearing up and fighting back, I gave in and got out, which I think is great because, and, and this, no one who makes stuff is not going to, is not going to relate to this on some level, um, that there's, we, we all think of ourselves, oh yeah, we need, we need to be critical of our own work. We kind of throw that stuff around. But when we say that, we usually mean, oh, I know very well how to put myself down and say that I'm not very good, but that's not right. 
the critical faculty because the critical faculty should be balanced. It should be giving you a sober view of where you actually stand. It's it's lazy to say, oh, I'm just rubbish. I mean, it's 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 that kind of false modesty, self-deprecating bollocks. It actually doesn't really help us and and sets us back and gives us an excuse not to make things. And he, he I think, says it so well that artists have to be self-critical enough not just to attack everything they do. I had self-doubt, but not a real self-critical facility. Instead, I indiscriminately loved or hate something. So instead of this like lazy, very dramatic either-or response, either I've made something and it's brilliant, and why doesn't the rest of the world see how brilliant it is? Or oh, this must be complete rubbish, I'm terrible. Those are kind of lazy responses. And and, and almost, gosh, this is going to sound harsh, but I'm only saying it because I do this as well. It's the cowardly response. Because if I if I just put the most black or white version of what I see this as on this, I don't have to be brave and stand in the middle and keep walking, knowing that my work might be all right, but not good enough yet, and I've got a lot of work to do. That's the braver choice is to get a, an accurate picture of where I am on my artistic journey, which will probably be something like, uh, it's got potential, but it's not there yet. Or it's good, but it's not great yet. And keep walking, even though I'm not getting the response I want, because I believe in the long term, I, I could potentially be a great artist. That's the braver option. And that's what I think picking up from his article is one of the things he felt he lacked. And I certainly relate to that. Oh, absolutely. I know you do. No, (laughs) No, absolutely. I I was, I was wildly successful and I gave it all up. Um, (laughs) (laughs) No, I I think one of the other aspects of it that I, that I kind of came to in, in rereading it and in talking to Adrian about it was there were a couple things, you know, art, uh, art is different than say photography in, in photography. And she pointed this rightly. So we have something, we have like Magnum contact sheets and, and many other Mm. things like that, where we get to see a photographer working through a subject, working through a scene, getting to that final iteration, that final version. But at, at the time, especially at that time, we didn't, we didn't get that look. All we saw was the final work. So we were comparing our struggles to say something meaningful with people who had already gone through what we were going. It was that idea of, of comparing your beginning to someone else's middle or end. Yeah. We didn't get to see Willem become de Kooning. We just saw de Kooning. We didn't get to yeah. see Pollock become Pollock. We just saw Pollock. We saw, we saw the arrival. We didn't get to see the struggle. And for me, there was this realization recently, and I've, I've kind of let myself off the hook for some of this, because at, at 20, whatever I was years old, you don't know anything. You don't, you don't know what you want to say. You haven't done, especially, especially, Sean, as a, a middle-class uh, white male in America in the eighties. What did I have? I didn't have anything that I had to say with my work. So I was left with, I had technique. I I knew how to do things in terms of process, but I didn't know what to do or what to say with that process. I didn't know what I was trying to communicate with that process and ended up comparing myself 
to those people who did have something to communicate because not only were they older and they had already gone through it, but there was also that scene that they all knew each other. They all talked about each other. They had discussions and, and, and the sort of salon mentality of, of talking through what art meant and what you were trying to say with your art. And I never had that. And I think mm-hmm. there are tons of people out there for whom that's also true, but yet we, we still because it's, it's human nature, I would argue, that, that we compare ourselves to our heroes and go, why can't I do that? Why can't I get there? And there is a photography version of that in that I think when we think of our hero photographers, we only think of 10 images each. Yeah. And they are their most famous images. For most of them, we don't have a magnum contact sheet necessarily. We just have easy access to our favorite images of theirs and that were the best, probably the best images they ever made over 40 years and hundreds of thousands of photographs. And then we try and compare the image we took today to their best 10, which is nuts. Yeah. And of course, of course, you're going to want to give up if you do that. Absolutely. Of course, you're going to want to give up. Well, I'm not making any progress. No, no, no. Hang on. You, you have to compare. This, this is going to sound, this is going to sound unkind, but I, I, I mean, I mean, I mean, obviously, like, okay, well, I'll just say it. Like, like I've, I saw images that um, Joel Meyerowitz posts to Instagram these days because he does. He posts current imagery to Instagram. And I had the thought, and I, look, I, I love Joel Meyerowitz. I revere him as, as, as a human being and as a, as a photographer, to be honest. But, but I think I, I would flick past a lot of the images he posts on Instagram as unremarkable. And then I realized... Oh, he doesn't care. And why should he? You know, he's just, he's just shooting because he loves it. He's doing what I do. Mm-hmm. I have huge expectations of him because he's the hallowed Joel Meyerowitz. He's just shooting because he loves photography. And it gave me such comfort to know, oh, I can do that too. And if people flick past my images, it's okay because they flick past the stuff Joel's posting as well. And it doesn't matter because we're all just making. The point is, when I get to his age, will I have anything close in my best images to his best images. And the chances are no, but that's the target. Not can I produce an image today that's as good as Joel Meyerowitz's best over his entire career, because that's ridiculous to try and attain. Mm-hmm. And, and it's the difference between the daily work that we're just producing because we're trying to stay sharp and learn new things and the very best work that surfaces over our entire lifetime. That's a very, very different thing. And, and it requires a lot of patience of ourselves, I think, to keep moving in those tiny increments and not using other people's best work as our, as our, as our daily goals, but as our lifetime goals. Right. Which is a completely way of look, a different way of looking at it for me. It was really comforting to me because he, he shot a bunch of um, like just self portraits during lockdown and uh, there was nothing there. I thought like, Oh, I could, I could do most of that stuff. You know, I, I've, I've done stuff which I think is comparable and that's something, oh yeah, but but then is you know the, the the ego pops up and goes, oh well maybe I'm just as good as Joel Myers, or maybe you know, and then you go, no, 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 because this isn't the point. None of this is the point. The point is Joel has taken because of thousands of hours of hard, hard work, has taken incredible images that that make yours look the best of yours look ridiculous because it's the work of a lifetime. It's not the single image that you produce that impresses or doesn't impress on something as frivolous as Instagram. Right. And the fact is Joel still produces duds. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? But we don't want to think of that. But it's crazy because like, of course he does. 
Mm-hmm. But it feels sacrilegious to say, but of course he does, <laughs> right, 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 right. you know, like, of course he does. And it's, and, and I'm just, so that means when I produce duds and post duds and people go like, what the hell is this? Oh, it's okay. Cause Joel Myers also does that. And it means that he's still an amazing photographer who does that. So maybe I can be a great photographer one day and posting duds doesn't mean I'm not. It's, it's less pressure on the single piece of work and, and broadening and widening the perspective to the longer journey, I reckon. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I heard something, Gary V posted something. A lot of the stuff that he's been posting lately has really been speaking to me. And, and he posted something. He said, he said, treat, treat creativity like baseball. He said, if you hit three out of 10, you're in the hall of fame. If you succeed three out of 10 times, you're in the hall of fame. Hmm, but we yeah. don't look at it that way. We want to succeed 10 out of 10 times, nine out of 10 times. Anything else is unacceptable. But three out of 10, you're in the Hall of Fame. I mean, that's the, when you think about it that way, I mean, because I think perfectionists feel this a lot. And also, like, I mean, if you think of, I don't know if I've talked to you about the Enneagram before, that personality test. No, we mm-hmm. haven't talked yeah, about sure, it before. Yeah, sure, sure, yeah. sure. So, like, I mean, I'm a type Four wing one five, baby. Enne- yeah, yeah, four wing five. So I'm a one wing two on the Enneagram. So my, my particular burden is perfectionism. And I think it's the the... the problem with being a perfectionist is you do put way too much emphasis on the single piece you're working on instead Mm -hmm. of the wider picture. Threes have a very similar problem on the Enneagram in that they're like very success driven. So metrics are very important and numbers are very important and growth is very, and things like that are very important. And it's also very hard to, to sort of take the longer view of things. Um, yeah, I I think fours in their own way with like with like their, their need for things to, to, to mean something, but the single thing to mean something, not the longer term picture. Like it's, right. it's, it, we've all got our own burdens about why we place so much emphasis on the very thing we're working on. That's not to say we shouldn't obviously do the best job we can with whatever we're doing. I mean, that's, we all do, we all want to do that, but it's, it's putting a different stress on it so that it's not, I'm a good artist or not if I do a brilliant job with this project. I'm a good artist or not if over my lifetime I produce work, the three out of ten, that were, that were really good and that people recognize that perhaps is, is, would be really nice. Um, but that means, that means seven out of ten times that I try something, it, it's going to fail or fall a bit flat at least. And that's good and normal and human and right, and that's okay. Right, 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 right. Yeah, I'm... I'm... It's funny that you, you bring up the, the four and the meaning, because I think at this point in my life, I'm not chasing good, I'm chasing meaningful. And, I'm, mm-hmm. and I've, I've finally been able to admit that, that, that I have conflated good and meaningful for a few years now, but I'm really clear on wanting to do something that means something and, and I can see that standing apart from, is it aesthetically otherwise good. Do you know what I mean? Because I think that there, there is for me, there is a realization that it's not going to be good to everyone and that's okay because I was chasing that for a while. But if I, if it can mean something, if it can resonate for good or for bad with a, with a broader audience, then I'm happier. Then I feel like I've done the job. Yeah. And I guess the danger with ever, with ever uh, using how far something reaches as the metric for how 
how meaningful it is or successful it is or perfect it is, whatever your particular hang-up is, is that there's too many examples of people who've made really meaningful things that didn't reach that audience mm -hmm. um, that we recognize later. I, I mean, I mean, I, I use the kind of slightly stereotypical example in the book of, of uh, Van Gogh. Van Gogh, sorry. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right, just to clear my throat. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and Somewhere how, Martin uh, is shaking his head at you. Uh, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I hope he doesn't hear this. Um, and, um, you know, how, how, how oh, gosh, it's just a heartbreaking story of somebody who, who obviously had all the talent in the world. Um, and, I mean, there, there are varying stories. You hear people say, well, no, he, he, he did have a name in his lifetime. And some people who say he just, never managed to really sell much at all. And either way, I think we could say that he was very frustrated that he thought he was doing something good and new, but the world didn't really agree with him at the time. But we mm -hmm. later see him as one of the best painters ever to have walked the planet. Um, like, I mean, thank goodness he didn't give up, you know? Well, I mean, obviously in the end he did give up, but I mean, he didn't give up along the way. And he, he, he spent, he poured his life out for a decade producing that work at an incredibly high rate and leaving it behind for us. And, and what a tragedy that he couldn't be patient enough with himself in the long run to say, well, maybe no one gets it now. Maybe they'll get it later or, or even that I could find satisfaction in making it now. Cause this is exactly what I wanted to paint. Um, I kind of have a thing for yellow and blue and I went crazy and I loved it and it is what it is. And maybe people don't want to buy it, but I love it. Um, it's, 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 it's such a battle, isn't it? Like, I mean, because then you get artists like this, this guy in this article. So I forgot his name already. Jerry Sauls. Yeah. Who, who you can, you can hear him like his, at one point in the article, he's talking about going back and looking at that work again and getting excited about it and going, Oh, wow. Actually, this is really good. There's some really good stuff in here. Yeah. And then it, I is, see what is I was trying wife. to do here. <laughs> yeah. Or is it his wife or partner who walks in and goes, yeah, it's pretty generic. And straight away he's crushed again. Yeah. Yeah. He's what are these like, trees? Oh. What are these triangles? What is that? Yeah, exactly. He's like, what's, what's with all the triangles? Is this a woman? He's like, no, it's, it's the devil. Like, what are you talking about? Like, it's like they don't get it. Like, I, I, I just felt like you, how, how, we put so much weight on either our expectations of how our work's received now or single responses to our work that crush us and, and kill it for us. That, that it's, it's why I spent so long in that book talking about, I, I spent a whole chapter. I think it's the longest chapter in the book talking about getting our need for attention under control. Because mm -hmm. if we don't manage that step, we're in real danger of giving up. If, if we're driven by how many people respond or how they respond, we take reviews too seriously will probably give up because bad reviews will come for everybody. No matter if right. Spielberg's had bad reviews, everyone will get bad reviews. If, if that will derail you, you you're doomed. You're not going to make it. You've, you've got to be self-contained a little bit. And with social media, I mean, you have experienced this. I've exp anybody who's ever posted anything online, I, I would imagine, I'd be very surprised if, if any creative out there that might be listening to this, any person that's posted a piece of, of, of themselves online didn't get somebody saying something snarky or, or maybe even, you know, intentionally cruel about what you've made. And it's not the, the comments that, that sing the praises of that work that you're going to remember. It's that one knucklehead 
mm-hmm. who said something insensitive, that's what's going to wreck you. That's what's going to stick the hardest or, or, or you know, cut the deepest. And, and I think that fear is what keeps a lot of people from sharing their work in the first place. Keeps it, you know, hidden in the basement or up in the attic because to let it out into the world might mean... Wait, what are you saying? <laughs> get, I, I, I said at or in the attic. So it, might, it, might, it might not be you. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. See what I did there? <laughs> I do. It's clever. That's what, that's what, but I mean, we've all done it. I've got, I've got stuff sitting on hard drives I'll never share. Right. Because I, I, I'm too i don't i feel, feel like i have enough control over it it's not good enough yet and i'm afraid of what people will say i fight this stuff all the time um but with let me ask you something with with that sort of realization around around joel Meyerowitz, would you would you be more likely to let some of that stuff see the light of day given that one of your heroes doesn't always hit a 10 out of 10 or or do you still hold on to that I feel like my, my, my Instagram is, is me making a concerted effort to do that because I, mm-hmm. and, and I, I constantly have the temptation because I think I have 2,600 plus images on there. It's a huge mm-hmm. amount. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that is over the last 10 years. So there is a mountain of crap on there going right back to the beginning. I don't delete stuff. Um, and I post something every day and I can't post a good image every day. I just posted something now. I don't think it's an amazing photograph. I think there's just like little interesting things about it. But I force myself to keep shooting and posting and sharing and opening myself up to, to people attacking it. I, I have to brace myself for that. I know it'll happen. It happens every day. But I also know that um, by doing that, I could whittle it back down today. I could sit here and I could cull it down to my hundred strongest images and be like, I'm this good all the time and fake that. <laughs> I could do that, but I'm not that good all the time. In right. fact, most days, I, 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 a lot of days I come home with nothing, not even good enough to throw on a daily Instagram account where I pretty much will post anything, you know? So I could fake it as well. But, but that's what we're so comparing ourselves to, Sean. That's exactly what, what we're co- we're comparing ourselves to Bresson's hundred best hundred best images to but, you know uh, uh, Diane Arbus's you know fifty best like whatever it is. We're not we're not comparing ourselves to the missed focus or the terrible exposure or the bad composition. But that's why I think more people should share more because it mm. it would break that illusion down. So. I, I could, I mean, I kind of do that already. I post 365 images to Instagram a year, but I only post 90 in my collections book and mm-hmm. I've taken 10,000 maybe. Um, but those collection books are fairly disposable. I still don't have work I'd be willing to put in a monograph, like a proper project. I don't have work like that. I'm, I'm working towards it in the long term. So Even out of so, those collections, you wouldn't pull anything? no really i mean i have thought about it i have thought about it i have thought about could i for example put together a monograph of the best light and shadow stuff mm-hmm. and i think like i could do something very cool and designery around that but it wouldn't say anything it'd just be empty it would be it would be visually interesting but 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 completely vapid so I don't want to do it. So no. So, so, so if you took me for an example, if, if like a beginner photographer looks at me and goes, Hey, I, you know, compare myself to, to this guy. 
hopefully I'm easier to, for you to compare yourself to because you can see a lot of crap that I share with the world. And you can see actually there was a lot, a long journey of things starting to take shape slowly. And I still post stuff often that isn't that great. It's just, it just might have something interesting about it as a teaching tool. And that I, I'm an easier target to, 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 to run after than say, uh, you know, buying a hardcover Cartier-Bresson book mm-hmm. and going like, I want to be like this guy. Well, g- great, but it's very hard to see the in-between steps of how he got there with him. Right, 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 right. Because he's not showing you that as much. If if you look at those collections, are you able to see a progression toward a monograph or do they all feel similar in tone and what they're saying? I have to start again. For a monograph, because I, f- I feel like a monograph should be, this is, this is me, this is my personal thing. I know not everyone would agree, but I feel like a monograph for me, I want it to be a project mm-hmm. where I try and say something, uh, give myself boundaries, spend a lot of time going with a camera and trying to say something about something. Mm-hmm. And, 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 do, and I haven't even attempted that yet. Really. A lot of the stuff that I post on Instagram or, or put in collections, is just what I happen to see in a given year that I might like the photographs, but that there's a, there's a mix of things and there's not a lot of cohesion and there's definitely no message. Um, so I would want to start from scratch. I am starting from scratch for that kind Interesting. of project. Yeah. Interesting. It's, it's not that I, it, this is the difference. It's not that I look down on myself as a photographer and think I'm crap. Sure, this sure, is sure, trying sure. to do that, like actually having that self-critical facility that, that uh, the article's talking about. Is I, I don't put myself down for that. I know I have a skill set. Um, and the reason that I don't have a monograph I can be proud of is because I haven't put in the, the, the time and the focus to produce something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I'm somewhere in the middle of my journey. I, I'm, I'm someone who spent some time getting some skills and now I have to do a different sort of work th- than watching thousands of YouTube tutorials or buying gear. I have to, I have to go and do the work and spend time with people and plug away for a while and probably not employ 95% of the techniques that I've learned, but just strip it down to, to, to utilize the right tool set, the limited tool set I would need to tell that story the best I can, which is a different thing. And that's, I think, when I, I feel like that's where I'm going to start to grow up as a photographer. Everything up to now has kind of been play in a way, Right. Um, I feel like. And that's not me putting myself down. I'm happy that that's where I'm at because that feels like a good middle of the journey kind of place. And I feel that's where I'm at. You know, I'm not, I'm no great photographer. I'm just a, a serviceable middling photographer who's yet to try and make meaningful work, but I'm making early steps in that direction. I'm comfortable with that. See, I, I don't even, I, I don't even know that I'm that far if I'm looking at my own work. I, I think I'm by and large a designer who paints. I don't think of myself as a painter I, I i would sooner call myself a painter than i would call myself an artist but can i push back on that because sure you say that you say that as if it's like you you're kind of putting yourself down slightly as if it's less than in, in what way saying saying that i'm a designer who paints yeah you're a designer you're not a painter as if it's like as if it's like a, you're you're kind of excusing yourself, or it's less than. But I don't I don't see that, and I know you don't really when it comes to other people, because some of your heroes are squarely in that camp. Mm. Yeah, I th- I think it really comes down to still not really feeling like I have anything to say. I can arrange things in a pleasing manner. 
<laughs> I, I can I can arrange elements in in a way that that people seem to like, but I don't know that the work really says anything. It feels more mm, it feels more like decor than art. I'm going to push back again. So because so, you say like you say that like you don't even feel like you're as far as I am. I see you as being much further down the road than I am because when I look at your work, there are very clear themes in it. Well, there's yeah, no clear theme in my work. There, there might be themes, but there's nothing that it's really saying. I'm, I'm telling stories with it, and maybe that's enough. Maybe it's in the way that I am looking at the work that I make. Maybe, maybe it's, it's, you know, my mom used to tell me that 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 you know, think of everything as a kaleidoscope. When you when you make a small turn on a kaleidoscope, the image that you see through it can change drastically, right? And I think you know, m- maybe there's a way that I can you know, use that metaphor to change the way I see my work where it, where it does mean something, or maybe, maybe creating visual fiction is enough. Maybe that's, maybe that in and of itself is saying something. Why, why wouldn't it be enough? I mean, we, 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 we love fiction. We love storytelling yeah. in, in books and in films. That's more than enough. And maybe there's something more you want out of it. But I mean, that on its own is definitely enough. And I, it seems to bring you so much joy. Making the work that, does. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I, I've spent the morning because I'm, I'm starting a new body of work and I couldn't remember, I couldn't remember how I did it. I couldn't remember what, what order I did some of the steps in because I, I changed things up a lot. And I want this to be thematically a continuation of that, of that first set of paintings in this series. And I was looking through, um, I, thankfully I documented the making of it, um, and, and was looking through some of the photographs and I was instantly taken back to how good it felt in, in, when that photograph was taken, um, where I was in the studio, what I was doing. I mean, even down to like how the paint smells and how the gel smells, I, I was instantly sort of taken back to that. And, and just sort of a wash with, with how good it felt to be in the act of making, um, mm-hmm. much more so than trying to figure out what, if anything, it means. Yeah. There's um, another part of this article that really hit me that kind of relates to this as well is, is um, he seems to be battling at a different point about this kind of razor's edge you have to walk as an artist or someone who makes something between having work that you make that you just like, but no one really gets when it's just inaccessible mm-hmm. and having work that's too obvious mm-hmm. about what it, what it means and what it's really saying. And he, he suggests that like both are ignorable because if something's, you walk into a gallery and there's artwork on the wall, that's just too obvious about what it means. It's just yelling at you one message. It's kind of easy just to walk away and go, well, that's just boring. And I could ignore that. But then again, like if you, there's no way into it. Like if you just look at it, I can't make head or tail of this. I have no idea how to access it. It's also very easy to ignore, maybe easier. Um, And the trick is to intrigue people enough to spend a bit longer with it, but not, not spoon feed anybody with what you're trying to do or say, Mm -hmm. which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. 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 And uh, honestly, I, I think your work 
fits squarely on that line. I can imagine walking into a gallery and seeing your work and walking around, especially your propaganda work, and walking around a gallery looking at those pieces and just taking in the aesthetic of it and not even having to ask myself why you chose to make that, but you kind of, you kind of put us in a world that has existed that you're obviously very interested in. You presented us with some ephemera from that time. You've given us a very clear color palette that evokes, that evokes a, a set of feelings about it too. And is that, is that maybe enough? Is that, is that, and it, and it may be it need to be, it may be Sean. I mean, it, I, I struggle with expectation, you know, and, and maybe, maybe I'm putting, you know, and you and I have talked about this, maybe I'm putting too much expectation on what it has to be or what it wants to be and just let it be what it is, you know, because again, I'm, I'm looking for meaning or I'm looking to say something with it that for you, it might say more than enough. It might, there, there might be something there that you can, you know, that you can question. There might be parts of it that you go, okay, I see what's going on here, but then there might be other parts, you know, to, to reference this article that, that, that do walk that line where you got, I'm intrigued by this. I don't quite understand it, but I'm, I'm intrigued enough to keep going with it. And I think that's some of the art that I really like the most. It's some of the design work that I really like the most. You know, I, I love seeing how you got there, but not really knowing how you got there. It's, it's one of the reasons I love David Carson's work so much. I, I, I use the same kinds of ephemera that he does. I, I, I use many of the same physical processes that he does, but man, I am nowhere near the thought process that he employs to get from, from A to Z. Nowhere near it. I have no idea where it comes from. And for that, I'm endlessly intrigued by it and have been for decades. Do you think he's more specific than you in how he puts things together? Does he have like a reason and a rhyme for everything he adds to a piece more than you do? I don't think so. I what's, think what's he is difference? just incredibly intuitive. I mean, having, having, you know, had a few brief exchanges back and forth with him, I, I think, I think he thinks about it quite a bit, but he will be the first to tell you that, you know, if he's doing a design job for a client and the client supplies you know, whatever materials that they deliver to him, he's very clear that the answer to the question is in the material. It's not external. The answer is there. It's up to me to find that answer. And I don't know if it's an analytical process or, or an intuitive process, but it just seems that he, you know, it's, it's somebody who can do math in their head. They just, they just know where to go next. And, and I, and I don't, um, and it's the same way with painting. But, but do you not? Because how, how different is that really to your process? I don't know that the process itself is different, but, but the choices that he makes and where he ends up um, are very different. And, and other people, you know, the same with like Chris Big and Chris Ashworth and like the, those design heroes that I've had for decades and, and the painting heroes that I've had. I look at Rauschenberg's work still. And, mm -hmm. and go, man, I have no idea how you got there. I know, I know how I would try to get there, but our results are going to be completely different. But, but then we're back to your looking at your, the 10 best works from your favorite people. Yes. Yes. I'm, and, I'm not and, looking and, at and him sitting in his, 
you know, apartment no. in New York with all of the stuff around him, you know, wadding up pieces of paper and throwing them in the bin because he's not hitting the mark. I'm not looking at that. Yeah, tw- and, 20 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, and what yeah. He was, you're not, you, you'll never see that stuff. And I think that's so, where getting back to kind of the first part of the conversation where that's where something like, like, um, contact sheets is so invaluable and getting out into galleries and museums for retrospectives, because oftentimes they will dig up these, these never finished pieces, or they'll dig up the interim pieces mm-hmm. and they'll dig up all these sort of iterative works that do let you see behind the curtain. And they do let you see what went into making those 10 best that you've, that you've been sort of, uh, uh, fawning over for the past X number of years. Yeah. What, one of the most, uh, one, one of the best feedback I got on a, on a video was when I showed my contact sheet from a day out shooting street photography mm. because people could see how much crap there was in between or how I found a space that I thought was interesting and just kind of waited around and took a bunch of photographs. And the one that you saw me post was one of 30 and it was, it was the strongest of, of, of 30 images with 25 of them being horrendous. Right. Kind of, I think, brings a lot of comfort to people going, oh, well, that's just part of the process. Right. Right. Is, is to, is to, is to push through, is to push through the bad stuff and keep going, not to beat yourself up because, oops, I just took a bad photograph. Mm-hmm. It's to go, oh no, that, that's how you get to the good ones. So keep going. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, the other side of it is, is, this is something that we've spoken about in previous conversations of getting that thing in front of the right people. You know, there's a, a great story that Stephen King tells in On Writing about getting Carrie published. and getting rejection after rejection after rejection. And he kept them all. He kept them all sort of nailed to the wall and eventually had to get this bigger sort of spike type nail because the reje- the pile of rejections just kept growing and growing and growing until wow. that one person saw it and went, wow, this is different. This is, this is something. Yes, let's publish this. You know, and that kind of launched him into a, a different trajectory, but it was it was, it was a perseverance of, of, I believe in this. I believe in what I've made here. I'm going to get it in front of the right person so that they believe in it and, and, and can help me bring this dream into, into reality, help me bring this, this sort of path into fruition. And I think that, that we, anybody who makes anything, um, there is a point where you look at it and go, yeah, that's really great. I'm really proud of that. But the moment you put it out into the world and to your point earlier, get that negative feedback, that negative review, it causes you to change your mind and you look at it differently. You look at that work that you, that you were just so proud of and you were so happy with and you go, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe it's crap. Well, that's where you have to back yourself. Cause I I really think that the, that unless you're really lucky and that the first time you put something else into the world, it's universally hailed as brilliant and people want to sign you up for things, which, which doesn't happen to anyone I know. Mm-hmm. Then for the rest of us, the ones that are going to make it are the ones that find the courage to, to get the thousand rejection letters and keep going. I don't, I don't know another way that it works. Yeah, I don't know. Which is hard. I don't know either. But we have to put ourselves out there at some point. We have to, as, as, as you and Bill were saying, you have to be your own town crier. You've got to set your stall out at some point. You've got to say, hey, everybody, this is what I do and have 
10 people shout back, well, we don't think it's that great. We're going to keep shopping. Thanks. Cheers. And, and you keep going, no, no, no. I, hey, guys, I, I really think this is good. And keep making it and keep going. I really think this is, which sounds soul-destroying, and in many ways it is. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I think that's the courage artists need. I think, I don't know, I don't know another way. I think it's entitlement to expect anything less than that. If I'm being brutally honest, it, it absolutely is. I mean, it was for me. That's why I stopped. Mm. You're, you're not going to appreciate my brilliance. Well, screw you. Then I'm not going to make any more. You don't get me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm taking my toys and I'm going home. <laughs> yeah. And the world went, what? <laughs> oh, okay. Like, All right, man. <laughs> Wait, who are you again? Yeah. You know, because they don't care. The world yeah. doesn't care. No. But there are people in the world that will care. Yes. Subscribe to Jeffrey Sidoris Everything in your favorite podcast app to get Deep Natter along with Process Driven and everything else I release all in one feed. If you'd like to support the show and help others find it, you can leave a review or a rating wherever you listen and share it on social media. And as a reminder, you can listen to the show live and be a part of the conversations Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern on Clubhouse. Connect with Sean on Twitter and Instagram at Sean Tuck. That's S-E-A-N-T-U-C-K on his website at seantucker.photography or by searching for Sean Tucker on YouTube. You can connect with me on Twitter and Instagram at Jeffrey Sidoris. That's J-E-F-F-E-R-Y-S-A-D-D-O-R-I-S or on my website at jeffreysidoris.com. As always, thank you very much for listening. We appreciate you being here. We appreciate you sharing your time with us and we hope you'll come back for the next one. Thank you.